And now, business games. Hello, learner, and welcome to Business Games. Glad to see you here again. This is the introduction to season one, the experimental one of Business Games, an educational podcast and newsletter series where we apply game theory to business to help you make better decisions under uncertainty. Last week introduced the business games concept, the target audience, the general structure, and what you would get out of it. I'm humbled and glad that you returned to give this undertaking that most valuable asset, your time. To recap, the business game concept is an educational newsletter and podcast series teaching you how to make better decisions under uncertainty. What kind of decisions? Strategic decisions, in the economist's sense of the word, meaning interactive. This week, I'll introduce season one, the experimental one. I'll cover the choice of business experimentation as the first topic within our interactive decision-making under uncertainty journey. We'll talk about how business experimentation links to the wider journey, what you should expect from the season, and the sequence of the episodes and subtopics. We'll also cover some recent literature on business experimentation, and we'll leave you with some homework before we get to the content proper for the next nine weeks or so. Without further ado, let us jump into setting up the first season. The basic premise. The topic. The primary goal of this season is to ease the listener into the wide-ranging area of interactive decision-making under uncertainty. Taken at face value, it is dry and boring and unwieldy. We would never want to plunge into the deep end without building up the concepts. The specific topic of business experimentation fell into focus as ticking simultaneously a bunch of boxes. It's a standalone topic that could be relatively self-contained in one season. It is a topic that seemingly is hot right now. How about this for a title of an HBR article in June 2021? Quote, Why business schools need to teach experimentation. End quote from HBR.org. We'll get to the literature later. Uh, in the in this season's episode number seven. Now, it's also a topic that contains enough of the elements that we want to cover in our podcast series as a whole, thus serving as an extended introduction. And finally, it's a meta-commentary on the experimental nature of this whole Podcast Plus newsletter undertaking by yours truly. The context, or the contexts. With a topic that rich, what would be the best way to tackle it? Having noted that most of the literature highlights large-scale, automated digital experiments, we wanted to both do that justice, as well as address some contexts that seemingly are not typically covered. Incidentally, some of the contexts relate to the titular myths of the Chapter 7 Myths of Business Experimentation from the book Experimentation Works by Stephen H. Tomkin. We'll get back to the myths later. For now, here are the contexts. Big versus small, startup versus established, product versus service, B2C versus B2B, online versus offline, operational efficiency versus strategic choice. There are two reasons for these contexts to me. First, they're interesting. Many of you work in small companies, many in large corporates, some in between. Some in services, some in products, some have startup ideas, some are professional directors. I don't even mention the typically one of the largest employers in any country, all of government. There are many more settings that are more relevant to you than what Steve Jobs did at Apple. 
Secondly, to distinguish contexts is important and most people don't do it nearly enough. You know it and I know it. Most, or almost all, popular business literature advice is filled with context less trite, like quote-unquote, five steps planned to success that will work in any situation, and so on. But to rehash the point just made in the previous paragraph, this time by quoting my favorite brand management professor, quote, your portable toilet business has nothing to learn from Steve Jobs. Or, to quote my first ever guest from the next episode, point out that everything is contextual, strategic balance, management, leadership, and most go and say, oh yes, it depends, doesn't it? Point out that this means that one cannot create universal context-free rules and the pitchforks and torches instantly a mess. That's from JP Kesslin via Twitter. We shall be coming back to this theme again and again, that everything is context-dependent might just be the only absolute business rule of thumb believed by this author. The approach. Once we have the basic idea to look at business experiments as a way of introducing the wider series while covering a timely topic, and we have our contexts, which are both interesting and important, along whose angles to look at this topic, the next step is to figure out how best to deliver. For this experimental season specifically, we're trying a combination of two approaches. One, a critical literature review and executive summaries. This is where I leverage my two decades of academic research and strategy business consulting to get into complex topics and summarize and translate them for business leaders. My clients, through anonymous surveys, always highlighted this as my top ability. Now I bring it to you through members-only podcast episodes and newsletter content. And second, expert interviews. For every context of interest, I choose someone who I consider an expert to talk about experimentation in that context. All possess an ability to handle complex subjects, as well as a track record of actual real-world applications. Both aspects are important. These interview-style episodes are publicly available thanks to the generous time that the guests give us. Every episode has these three parts. 1. An intro. 2. The deeper dive. 3. The homework in two flavors. Things to read or listen to and practices to try. The second one, the practices, is important because we're trying to build muscle memory for approaching decision-making in the right, context-dependent way. Two words about interviews. You know those interview podcasts that start with Tell me how you got to this point. Tell the audience about your journey. If a podcast host is good, here are two main reasons, in my opinion, they would start like this on air. Either it is a talk show equivalent, think Conan O'Brien needs a friend, or this establishes the gravitas of the guest such that the audience trusts what they say. Think the Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. Which is, by the way, the only podcast whose premium members-only version I currently subscribe to. Well, this is not that kind of a podcast. You are here for knowledge and you have little time to waste. You trust my judgment about who to invite and why these are the people to learn from. If I violate that trust, you will not come back. I want to do everything I can to validate that trust. If a person is invited as a guest, they belong here, regardless of how they started on this journey. We therefore jump right into the topic of interest. 
Now, because everything is context-specific, of course you will see me break these rules. The caveat being when the backstory is directly relevant to the topic. But otherwise, no. There is enough information online on our guests to look up. The second point relates more closely to this season itself. Namely, I had three general themes that I started with, posing pretty much the same questions to every single guest. The intro typically went like this. Recently, there had been more articles written about the value of experimentation, which led me to have three general questions. 1. Why now? Surely business people must have had hypotheses that they were testing forever. Otherwise, how else would they have built their businesses? Why are we making it out as if right now is the first time in history that business people are using experimentation? Second question. What are the limits to experimentation? Nothing can be always good or always bad is my starting position. So if experimentation were always good, shouldn't everyone have experimented their way to the top? Aren't there caveats to this? And finally, the third question, when and how should you be doing it? In a context-dependent way, of course. But with the benefit of hindsight, of reflecting on the interviews and my own research, maybe these were not the best questions. Or maybe the wording should have been different. Sometimes the conversation completely deviated from the setup. I shall summarize what I have learned about these questions at the end of the season, including learning if some of them ultimately proved less useful. Next, what you should expect in season one. First of all, a note about the interviews. These were recorded between April and July 2021. I had spent the subsequent, what was it, uh, months editing, preparing premium versions where I chose one theme from the talks and expanded on that theme, and also preparing my own episodes, all to achieve a coherent educational narrative. Was I able to achieve this? Well, that's the exciting part of the experiment. Let's find out. Now, to wrap up that point, everything that we discussed were in the past. So whenever we're talking about something that is possibly coming up, months and months later, it might have been slightly less relevant. However, most of the topics are timeless, so that caveat, while important to keep in mind, does not prohibit us from learning a great deal from these interviews. So, the upcoming episodes. Season 1, Episode 1, J.P. Kastlin. There will be two versions, both public and the premium version. J.P. is an internationally renowned strategist based in Sweden, a consultant to large multinationals, a writer and a speaker. He has, in my opinion, one of the best, most insightful Twitter accounts to follow, at J.P. Kastlin. And he runs the only newsletter that, at the time of my talking to him, I paid money to, which was strategy and praxis. Apart from the deepest respect for JP's work, here are three reasons why I invited JP to open the season. Reason number one, the topics JP covers in his research and writing have a large overlap with what we try to do here. Reason number two, I find it useful to start with just observing the nitty-gritty, messy world of actual business. Reason number three, JP combines exceptionally well the theory and practice. He calls it praxis, 
hence the name for his newsletter. So he knows this world quite well as a strategy consultant who likes rolling up his sleeves. Right off the bat, we dove into complexity theory. Now, complexity theory is something that I am only now getting into and something that I want to dedicate a full season to later. And we couldn't have found a better guide than at JP to introduce us to the topic of complexity in business, as JP had spent the recent years developing a practical approach to complexity coherent strategy. And of course, experimentation is part of dealing with complexity. The best way for me to summarize this part of the talk is to invoke that episode's example of an ant and an ant colony. Understanding an individual ant's behavior will not help you understand the behavior of the colony, and vice versa, understanding the behavior of the colony will not help you understand the individual ant's behavior. A colony, in this case, is what is called a complex adaptive system, and there are many such systems in nature and in organizations. In fact, anything involving living things, especially humans, immediately leads to complexity considerations. Partly because there are no universal rules when it comes to complex adaptive systems, it is impossible to remove uncertainty completely, as it is impossible to 100% apply learnings from one context to another. Both together mean it is impossible to come up with a hard if A then B rules. Even if A did lead to B in another context, and now we're back to Steve Jobs and portable toilets. Thus, experimentation is key in handling complexity. In fact, David J. Snowden, in one of the most read HBR articles that started, quote unquote, the mainstream complexity appreciation, the article's name being A Leader's Framework for Decision Making, you can look it up on hbr.org, from the November 2007 issue of the magazine suggests that the sequence of probe, sense, respond as the approach of dealing with the complex. So let me say that again. In fact, David J. Snowden suggests the sequence of probe, sense, respond as the approach to dealing with the complex. And probe, sense, respond sounds awfully like setting up an experiment. JP and I cover a lot of ground from what kind of experiments safe to fail versus fail safe, and how they should run. Through all the contexts like startups versus corporate, service versus product, companies, etc., etc., through deliberate versus emergent strategy, to mechanical view of organizations versus psychology-based organic view, referencing a lot of JP's recent work in this area. Next week, come back to check out the episode. And if you subscribe to the members-only version of Business Games, then also expect my summary installment of this episode, as well as a transcript. I leave you with this snippet from JP from the next week's episode. If one were to take one takeaway, it's this, you know, understand your context, understand human beings. It's the, the complexity scientific slash complexity coherent strategic angle is very much different from the old view in that the old view tends to be that organizations can be treated as machines. Whereas the complexity based view is that organizations should be treated as ecosystems. And we need to understand within that we need to understand not just the, the financial and strategic sides, but actually sort of evolutionary psychology and so on. Season one, episode two, Professor Ananish Chowdhury. If we're talking experiments in business, invariably we end up talking about Halvarian and Google, and other visible academics in the field of experimental and behavioral economics. We're also talking psychology and economics. 
and then we're immediately talking Kahneman and Tversky, Dana Ariely, etc. It just so happens that my guest for the second episode, Ananish Chowdhury, is a professor of experimental economics at the University of Auckland, and is ranked among the top 5% of economics authors worldwide by the Research Papers in Economics database. And it also just so happens that Ananish and I know each other since 2003, the first year Ananish joined the University of Auckland faculty, and the last year of my University of Auckland honors study before I went to do my PhD. With the second episode, I wanted to do two things. One, Given that everything started with Kahneman and Tversky, I wanted to get back to basics. Two, I wanted to talk to one of the top academics in the field. Why are these two things important? They partly reflect my observations about decision-making in the business world, and they partly reflect the way I learn. From what I observed, for every Halvarian at Google, there are many more large corporates that are befuddled by economics, and especially behavioral economics and game theory. And for all dimensions of thinking, fast and slow, there are more people that talk about it without having actually read it than there are those who have read and understood it. This last point isn't even my opinion. And as for the befuddled part, well, hopefully it allows me to have a market which I can attempt to serve. How large of a market? Well, that's to be found out by this very experiment in it. As I also recounted in the Season 0 intro, I find the toolkit of economics to be of core importance for decision-making, and none more so than game theory, combined with psychology and experiments, giving us behavioral economics. I also recounted the way I learn, and thus the way I decided to structure the material in business games. To refresh. There are four elements, the fourth is split into two, so kind of five elements. Now, it's not a linear five-step, because in later iterations one can and should move in every which direction. But it does start sort of linearly. First, I look at the messy world in all its micro-glory. Second, jump out and look at the big picture. Third, peruse existing knowledge about what I see in the world and get familiar with the concepts of the giants who came before me. Fourth, I reconcile what I read with what I see in two ways. One, observationally. Do the concepts reconcile with what I see? Does this pass the eye test? And two, statistically. Does the data that I see reconcile with the concepts? Can I find the same categories in the world? And if I can, what can I do? After the first iteration, the cycle repeats, but not necessarily in the linear fashion. Now, I find it best to start with the observations rather than the concepts, because I know that concepts will frame my thinking, and I don't necessarily want my thinking framed as a starting point. Of course, observations will also frame my thinking. But one must start somewhere, and so the hope is that framing is less bad. To reiterate the final point, if we are to stand on the shoulders of giants, then we need to know what those giants thought. So it's neither advisable nor practical to reinvent everything from scratch or to ignore the existing knowledge. But it is useful to test the past knowledge against new observations. Thus. While the first episode was looking at the messiness of the real-world strategy, the second episode is learning about the knowledge development that we can then apply and test against the real world in future iterations. So, we cover historical development of behavioral and experimental economics, individual versus interactive decision-making, lab versus field experiments, how to run experiments in your organization, how to extract information using electronic betting markets, and many, many other topics. We even touch on doctors and pilots, COVID response, and devil's advocates. 
FYI, if you want to know more about Professor Ananish Chowdhury, here's the one link you really need that summarizes and links all his work. It's Ananish Chowdhury, all one word, dot com. I'll put the link in the notes. But also, you should check out his book that is of central importance to our topic. The book is called Behavioral Economics and Experiments, and you can look it up on Amazon. Now, Season 1, Episode 3, Davi Willefair. Once we've covered the complexity of business and the concepts of experimental economics, it's time to return to our contexts. And I've chosen the large corporate business as the first in our series for the simple reason that I'm probably best familiar with it. While I run, well, let's call it a boutique consultancy, my clients over the past nearly decade and a half had been some of the largest corporations in Europe and Australasia. And we'd been typically embedded on the floor of these firms. Our guest for this episode, Davi Willefer, I got to know when he was the Chief Information Officer of Westpac New Zealand. For our international audience, Westpac is one of the four largest Australasian banks. I ran several projects in Davi's business unit and could observe how he approaches business transformation and leadership. And during this time, I developed deep respect for his style. Davi has a tremendous international senior executive track record of transformation projects. So when thinking about corporate experimentation, it was an obvious choice. Between Davi's experience in leading technology teams and organizations through transformation and experimentation literature highlighting large-scale digital experiments, what better way to address the writing with the actual real-world experience than this? Interestingly enough, and this is a recurring theme, we talked more about psychological safety, anxiety, curiosity and creativity than technology or data. I mean, we hardly at all mention the technological advances or digital experiments. Topics we discussed were crisis management, anxiety during transformations and experimentation, psychological safety and stress, unlocking curiosity and creativity, the value of progressive discovery, KPIs versus useful measurement, experimentation from senior leadership team and board of directors' points of view, and other topics. Here's Davi on LinkedIn. It's Davi Willefer or Davi O. It's pronounced Willefer, but it's spelled O-L-I-V-I-E-R and Davi with a W. Season 1, Episode 4. Melissa Clark Reynolds, ONZM. Again, there will be two versions. There's a public and a premium version. Having touched on a board of directors' view on experimentation with Davi, we expand on this very topic with the professional director and the officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit, Melissa Clark Reynolds. Now, if you're unaware of uh, ONZM, what ONZM is, and for our international audience, this might not mean much, think of your typical award for the services to the country in some shape or form. You are probably familiar with the titles Dame or Sir and the concept of a knighthood within some Commonwealth countries. So, in New Zealand, there are five levels to these. Okay? Point being, Melissa is outstanding and is worth listening to. I got to know Melissa during the first NZ COVID-19 lockdown, when she facilitated a number of courses through the New Zealand Institute of Directors on dealing with a crisis, strategy, and thinking like a futurist. For directors. Obviously, it's 
it's NSAID Institute of Directors after all. Now, in the past few years, I consumed tens of thousands worth of professional development courses targeted at directors. And Melissa's were by far some of the best few. But apart from being a director, Melissa had been a serial technology entrepreneur of some 25 plus years. And interestingly enough, like with Davi, in this episode, we talk about psychology and strategy more than we talk about technology. Melissa even references this very point explicitly. Have a listen. There are many reasons why you should listen to this episode, even if you're not into governance. Not least of which is that Melissa was one of the first people to have identified the likelihood of the pandemic in New Zealand. Between December 2019 and early February 2020 was when she was convinced that the pandemic is coming and she started preparing for a lockdown. How did she do it? Find out by listening to the episode. Topics covered. Predicting the pandemic, forecasting and experimentation, where to play how to win, business model innovation, strategy versus strategic planning, experiments at the board table, capturing weak signals, and others. Season 1, Episode 5, Ashley Berghoff. Again, we have a public and a premium version. By now, we've covered corporates, boards, and tech. By far the most visible topics and the ones that typically get more airtime and ink, albeit increasingly digital ink. We've also covered general decision-making, leadership, curiosity, teams, and other things related to the central topic of experimentation. This leaves two gaps in our coverage and in the real world. SMEs and the government. I don't cover the government. I can back myself by saying it's business games, not policy games. This would be true. But the reality is that I just don't know this world enough. So I'm reserving talking to government decision makers about government decision making in the future perhaps expanding this very season with additional episodes down the line. After all, we want to learn from all the relevant contexts, and the government context covers all the same fields of decision-making that we cover in this series. For example, signals, forecasting, knowledge aggregation, biases, interactive decisions, and yes, even experiments. This episode focuses on the SME and entrepreneur sector, specifically solopreneurs and lifestyle entrepreneurs. Our guest is Ashley Berghoff, a founder, consultant, and an author. After attaining an MBA from Georgetown University, Ashley left banking and insurance consulting to create A Squared Online, a company helping entrepreneurs leverage the power of systems in their creative endeavors. In my personal words, it's like having this idea of why should only large firms be able to leverage well-structured and well-designed systems and processes? Ashley and I connected while participating in Seth Godin's The Marketing Seminar. At the time, we were both developing our own ideas further and commenting on each other's. We stayed in touch ever since. So when Ashley was recruiting advanced readers to read the drafts of her book, I jumped at the opportunity. Allow me to get onto a soapbox here for a bit. Eureka Results is a book that brings systems thinking to SMEs and solopreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, you no doubt read lots of motivational crap along the lines of what every entrepreneur, entrepreneur needs to know and the proven five-step plan to success and similar crap, many on the best-selling lists. Unfortunately, 
there's a way to get onto those lists by catering to the lowest common denominator. Usually such literature is filled with some combination of empty inspirational quotes and hustle porn that are as quotable as they are devoid of any truth. Find your purpose and then persevere through adversity and you'll crush it in no time. And other such shit. Ashley's Eureka Results book is consciously and decidedly not like that. If you're an entrepreneur, check the Eureka Results book. Or even before that, check out the episode where I talk to Ashley and make up your own mind if you want to know more. Now, because her book talks about experiments and about approaching entrepreneurship with an experimental mindset, it has direct relevance to our season's topic of experimenting in business. Of course, we also get into other aspects of Ashley's writing. So you can make up your own mind whether you want to then buy the book. Even though it might not be for everyone, I think every entrepreneur would benefit from the ideas in Ashley Berghoff's Eureka results. There are more topics than we could cover while talking about business experiments. But the topics we do cover are the entrepreneurial marathon, maximizing the chance of success under uncertainty, experimental mindset, enabling creativity via systems and constraints, experimenting on your own as a solopreneur versus when you have employees, process versus achievement. As a note, you will see that similar topics pop up independently in multiple talks that we have this season. I cross-reference these in the transcript versions that come with the premium Business Games membership. It might be I'm suffering from the familiarity bias, but I like when similar concepts pop up independently from different conversations. Because of the independent part, I personally place increasing importance on such concepts. It feels like there's some truth to them. Season 1, Episode 6, Rory Sutherland. Wow, where do I start with this? Uh, Trying to explain who Rory Sutherland is to those who don't know who he is, is a bit like trying to explain who LeBron James is to those who don't know. I'll just say these three things. Rory is the author of Alchemy, the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense. You can find it on Amazon, just Google for, or, you know, Amazon, I, I don't know, what's the verb from searching for on Amazon? Definitely not Google. Um, search for it on Amazon, Alchemy, the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense. Number two, Rory has three TED Talks on what we want to talk about here, namely behavioral science and decision making. But God damn it, his examples are much wittier than mine. Check out Rory on the TED Talks website. Three, Rory is vice chairman of Ogilvy and the creator of Nudge Stock, a yearly behavioral science convention with speakers ranging from Nassim Taleb through Dan Ariely to John Cleese, to name but a few. Rory combines keen intellect and deep generosity, both qualities from which we benefit in this conversation. Listening to Rory is most certainly a treat, but there's also a specific reason I wanted to talk to him particularly for this episode. This was planned as the last interview episode of season one, the experimental one. The second season is called the mental one, and it will be all about biases in psychology. Now, what Rory does for a living nicely bridges the two topics. But what we start our conversation with is a topic of creativity. So, how does it bridge experimentation and psychology, you ask? Three points. Firstly, 
As we will have covered in other talks, experiments need testable hypotheses. These come from a creative place. In fact, doing this right is an incredibly creative process. Secondly, creativity itself is basically experimenting. The approach to art or science at a high level is surprisingly similar. Surprisingly to most perhaps, but not to the people at the top of their game in science and art. We don't cover this, but think of Da Vinci, incredible scientist and artist. Thirdly, creativity clearly leverages what Rory calls in his book, psychologic. So we get into all sorts of things. For example, how rigorous testing and measurement is creativity's bizarre half-sister? Red water versus blue water competition? The creative act of abductive inference? Optionality versus optimality? Detective work? And random bees that ignore the waggle dance? Season 1, Episode 7, Lit Review. Here are the books and articles I review in a separate episode towards the end of the season. Why the choice of the end of the season rather than the beginning? I could say this is in line with how I learn. Messy real world first, literature second. And it would make sense. If I were to start with the lit first, it would frame your and my thoughts. Is that framing good or bad? Is it any better or worse than the other way uh, kind of framing? Starting with the messy world, then reading the literature? Who knows? The fact of the matter is, there is probably no perfect way to do it. To quote Rory Sutherland, the opposite of a good idea could also be a good idea. And this is the crux of it all. Going all the way back to complexity and J.P. Castellan, there is no best practice. And so we pose a hypothesis, try it out, see what happens. If it fails, so be it. It's a safe-to-fail strategy. Wink, wink. So the lit is this. Okay, read this fun article first. The article is called Disney is playing a bigger game in its box office battle with Scarlett Johansson. It's in Marketing Week. Two, want to make better decisions? Start experimenting from MIT. It's MIT Sloan Management Review. Three, building a culture of experimentation from HBR. Four, avoid the pitfalls of A-B testing, again from HBR. Five, the power of these techniques is only getting stronger. It's a quote from an article or from an interview. Again, in HBR. They actually had a whole uh, issue dedicated to experimentation in business. And these are all from there. Number six, why business schools need to teach experimentation. That's on hbr.org. Seven, experimentation works. The surprising power of business experiments. That's a book. Number eight, the discipline of business experimentation. Again on HBR. Number nine, using experiments to launch new products. Again, HBR. Number 10, A-B testing. How to get it right. HBR. 11, marketers underuse ad experiments. That's a big mistake. Again, HBR. There's a lot of HBR, I'll address that you know, as to why. Number 12, how to make data experiments powerful from MIT, MIT Sloan Management Review. 13, don't let digital obsession destroy your organization. Again, from MIT Sloan Review, there's a quote called, take an experimental 
scale later approach. So that's also a bit of experiments. Number 14. R&D, meet E and S, experiment and scale from MIT. And 15, experiments and data for post-COVID-19 work arrangements. So, a lot of HBR and MIT, why? Well, we started with our observation that the volume and the frequency of articles about business experiments has increased recently in the business literature. For what it's worth, HBR and MIT Sloan Review are sitting at the top of the business literature. I'm not endorsing the publications one way or the other. They have some good sides, they have some fluff sides. But we're going to look at these articles as an accepted pinnacle of the business literature or the practical business literature. And we'll look at them and see what there makes sense and what there maybe doesn't make sense. So that's the lit review. Now next, we actually have a bonus discussion episode with J.P. Kaslan, which is public. Uh, public. Um, so it's uh, episode number eight. Plus, we've got a season overview and thoughts, which is a premium version in the in the eighth week. And here we get J.P. back to discuss what I've learned over the course of my talks and how it relates to what we've started with, namely complexity. J.P. shares his latest thoughts. For the premium episode, I provide my own neat, tidy bow on all the topics rather than summarizing what we discussed with JP. So this particular week will be a little bit different in the premium and public combination. Now, season nine, uh, sorry, season one, episode nine, there will be a mailbag episode. I encourage those of you who would like to support us by becoming premium members at gold or above tier to submit questions slash suggestions slash comments. I shall address on air those that you want me to discuss publicly with the group of fellow premium subscribers. This Q&A session will be live streamed and a shrunk down edited version will make its way as a members only podcast episode, though possibly without a transcript. And finally, the homework. If you've read or listened till the end of this episode post, I thank you. I also assume that you're interested in this content going forward. As I promised, homework. Here's what I'd suggest for you to do to get the most out of this enterprise. Number one, if you haven't yet, choose your subscription mode, free or premium. I don't need to tell you that premium has more in it. I will take your premium choice as one of two things. Either you value the content, or you really want to support me with money, or both. In either case, I'll be thrilled. Premium will then offer you the possibility to guide the development of this Newsletter Plus podcast. You support us, you get some say in what we make. But free will also be great. Number two, choose a place to take notes. This can be old or new school, paper or digital, written or voice. You'll hear from our guests about the value of writing things down. It is my belief that this indeed maximizes your getting value out of this enterprise. So I encourage you to get some form of note capture and use this for reflection. Three, this is optional. And it depends entirely on how you learn best. If you want, have a quick read through the first few articles on the literature list above. Or leave them until the end when we cover them. It's up to you. I gave my reasons for placing them at the end, but as I said, the reverse could have also been a good idea. Last but not least, enjoy the newsletter and podcast we've put together for you.
And that's about it. Hope to see you back here. Cheers, AI. The previous bit was scripted, now a bit of freestyle. I thank you for making it this far. As I said, you gave us your most valuable resource, your time. Hopefully so far, it's been worth it. I've set up the overarching concept of business games and also gave you a very detailed introduction into what to expect this very first season, the experimental one. Next week, we have JP to talk to us about complexity. Looking forward to it. Please subscribe to the free newsletter or a premium tier subscription on www.business-games.ai. That's the website. If you want to just follow the podcast, you can subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcasts. But if you want to get a little bit more, subscribe at least for free and check out also the premium tiers and what they give you. I look forward to having this journey with you and I look forward to learning from you on how to make this better. Please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you can. Thank you.